0: Good evening and welcome to Understanding Emotions. My name is Sankalp. In today's episode, we are going to talk about action, action. You're going to be an action hero after today's episode. So the previous episode, I talked about IFS therapy. And by the way, if you're new to the show, I highly encourage you to subscribe to the mailing list. It is available on the website. I'll speak more about that at the end. But in today's episode, we are going to talk about action and in the previous episode, I talked about IFS therapy, which in my view is a revolutionary, different and effective form of psychotherapy. I think it gets at certain parts of our minds very well. It is not to say that it is the best and other therapies are useless, but I think it's it's quite effective in the way it works and in how simple in almost it is but at the same time when we talk about therapy there can be a bit of a bias there which is all of the inner work we might end up thinking all of the inner work is all that we need to achieve emotionally healthy lives like it all happens from the armchair so to speak and let me, let me start by asking you this. Have you had therapy or do you know people who have had therapy? And how did it go? Like, what was its effectiveness? What changes did you notice? What impact did it have on your life? I think therapy can do a lot, of course. I've made episodes on it. And especially if you have like a black belt therapist, that makes a huge difference. There is a massive difference between a therapist who has just started or is just average and a therapist who is black belt, who knows what they're talking about. And there's some scientific studies on that too, that it's not as much the form of therapy that matters, but it is in fact, the therapist's growth level themselves. How much have they themselves grown and healed their own parts that matters more, and how much can they be in that self energy, that uh, pure present energy, that that has the most effectiveness in terms of outcome. But for the average person who has had therapy and has some benefits from it, of course there could be some effects of the therapeutic process itself, but a lot of times. What I find is that therapy is only helpful to the extent that there's someone for you to listen to. Uh, I I mean, there's someone who is listening to you. um, And they are paying this non-judgmental, present attention to you. And while that is great, that therapy provides that kind of support to us, it makes us feel heard. Uh, I have hardly ever seen people thrive and overflow with excitement after therapy or as a result of therapy. Even the language around it is that of managing your emotions or managing your mental health. How, how, uh, uplifting is that? I mean, it's good, I guess, for someone to get from a relatively poor mental health state to perhaps functioning or, um, normal, so to speak. But it's, it's hard for me to find examples where I saw people go in therapy. And mind you, I study psychology. This is all around me. It, it's, it's hard for me to find people who go, and, uh, go into therapy and come out thriving and full of joy and full of excitement. Um, there, there's an absence of that overflowing of positive emotions. And I think that is because therapy is missing one piece. And that piece is action. Now I know a lot of therapy does homeworks, and a lot of therapy does ask you to go out and talk and expose yourself to fears and all of that. I'm I'm well aware of that. But I am talking about this model of therapy or inner work in which you're just sitting down and talking to someone. And to the extent that something has action, it is not exactly what I am referring to as therapy in this. Um, but Having said that, it it you may need way more action than your therapist therapist is probably uh, inviting you to do. So in this episode, I'm going to unpack that, and it doesn't have to be as a counterpoint to therapy. I I I think action is powerful, and it is powerful irrespective of how it is placed in the context of therapy or pitted against the effectiveness of therapy i think it's an essential element if you want to become emotionally intelligent and become holistically aware of our different emotions so here's the question why action why not thoughts why not feelings and after all we are talking about emotional intelligence intelligence here so why, no, why not talk about thoughts and feelings and why are they not sufficient? Why Why is action important? Why is it important to go out there and do something in the world? And it doesn't have to be outside your house. Like for example, writing down something in the journal does count as action. So anything that has to do with leaving your mental space and getting into the physical world, I'm terming as action. And I feel action is important for emotional intelligence. So here is here are a few reasons why I think this emphasis on action is so important. Um, so the first point is what I refer to as, and many people refer to as, the mind-body relationship. And that is to say that whenever you are engaging your body, your mind responds we often think that we feel a certain way and then our body sort of morphs into that shape. So for example, if you win a prize in a competition, like perhaps you comp- competed in a singing competition and let's say you won a prize. Now, once you win that, you will see all sorts of emotions overflowing in your mind and that will lead your body to assume a certain posture and uh, you, you may you may have teary eyes or you may... You may punch the sky and you may uh, throw your arms up toward the air in victory. Um, So we all know that emotions can lead to physical postures, but equally true is the relationship the other way around. Your postures, your body language, your physical sense of navigating this world, the way you use this body in this world can have a huge impact on what emotions you feel. So for example, I have recorded this episode on power poses and I think it's called, uh, on physiology, it's called how to activate your body, how to activate your emotions using your body or something to that effect. I'll put a link in the show notes. There, there's research on something called as power poses in which you assume certain powerful postures like putting your hands up in the air, like like the victory pose, as it's called. And that's shown to have an impact on your mood. You start feeling like a winner just by assuming the victory pose. At the same time, the opposite is true as well. If you have a hunched back and if you're always, your neck is trooped and you're looking down in the world and you're never looking people in the eye, uh, you're walking along just uh, by looking at people's feet and there's fear you feel when you look at people's eyes, then that will lead to emotional states of submissiveness. That will lead to emotional states of uh, uh, perhaps being more on the losing side of life. And irrespective of where you are placed, the physiology will help you regulate your emotions. So action is basically physiology. What you're doing when you're taking action is changing physiology. There's all sorts of research also on stress-related physical problems. For example, back pain and autoimmune problems and migraines and blood pressure. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that all of back pain and all of autoimmune problems just stem from stress or mental health-related issues or emotional intelligence issues. But... Some of them do. There's documented evidence that uh, various stressors and depression can have significant physical impact and cause, lead to various uh, physical ailments. Uh, personally, I recall this one incident when I was sitting at a meditation retreat a few years ago and the the kind of meditation uh, we were practicing was body scanning. So we were looking at various sensations in our bodies. By sensations, I mean sensations like tingling and pressure and uh, uh, temperature and sweaty palms, the sweat on your palms and so on. And we were observing these sensations on a very microscopic level. So, you know, looking at maybe one centimeter of the body at a time. And by looking, I don't mean... Visually looking, I mean looking to the mind's eye, feeling. And at some point, I had this experience that after I had travelled all of my body and witnessed all of my sensations, I felt that I have covered everything. In other words, covering all of your bodily sensations covers the mind. There's no other thing beyond and above the body, which is the mind or beyond and above physical sensations more precisely. That is the mind. So all in all, action influences physiology and physiology is critical for influencing our emotions. It has a direct, it's like a direct remote control of our emotions. How we manage our physiology and our postures and our voice and uh, down to the more microscopic levels of are your muscles sore? Have you stretched them, and so on and so forth? So physiology and action are important in influencing our emotions. The second point I'm going to talk about is what what I call corrective experiences, or the world, or what the world of psychotherapy calls corrective experiences. And uh, this is something I've covered in one of my previous episodes called "Are Triggers Really That Bad." And the idea is we need to understand trauma and why we might have any emotional problems in the first place. So if you look at kids, it's it's hard for us to say if they have any emotional problems at all. Most of them seem to be fine and they seem to enjoy life and they seem to be a bit more carefree than adults tend to be. And so the question is what happens? What happens from... Being a kid to now being an adult that somehow we get all sorts of emotional burdens. What is exactly this process of growing up that leads to emotional unhealth, dishealth, disease? And the answer to that is certain experience which we might call trauma. Now when I say trauma here, I don't necessarily mean these big events which cause massive distress to us in childhood or otherwise. Well, those are certainly traumas, but they could be what I call little t traumas. And those are instances like um, some, some there was some emotional miscommunication and there was no resolution. So there was some situation which you perceived as threatening as a child. And that could be something as simple as your mother going to the shop to buy something and leaving you alone at home for a little while. Uh, But you may have perceived that as a threat and then if we feel that at that time we don't have the resources to cope with that threat, uh, we develop trauma. So trauma is essentially a lack of resourcefulness, um, an impression that you form of the world uh, as a threatening place due to a lack of resourcefulness for when the threat happened. And of course, as I said, there are traumas which can be massive and huge and take a lot of time to heal from. And I'm upset that that kind of thing happens in the world. And whether or not you've experienced something like that, we all have certainly experienced the little t kinds of traumas. And so to heal from that kind of trauma, the little t traumas or even the big t traumas for that matter the principle there is we have to show ourselves, we have to show our own mind and our own parts that we can now take care of ourselves. What happened back then, although might be distressing, is no longer a threat for the resourcefulness that we have now as adults and as grown-up people. Um, and that needs you to face that triggering situation and see that nothing bad happens and see that you can handle that triggering situation. And such an experience is what is often referred to as a corrective experience. And such a corrective experience can only happen in the world. It's hard for it to happen in your armchair or in the eye of your mind. And that's why action is essential. So sure, therapy and inner work and all sorts of things can deeply prepare you for this kind of situation. That's where the resource that's where the resourcefulness comes from. But ultimately, healing happens. The final healing, the, res- the resolving kind of healing happens when you take action, happens when you face that situation and see that, hey, I can handle it. I can handle it. I am not in danger in this situation. So one caveat here, by the way, is that you don't need the exact literal situation that happened back in childhood to repeat in order for you to provide yourself with the corrective experience. If the literal situation repeats and the and the situation was really bad back in the day, in that case what you don't have, then... In that case, what you have is a protective mechanism, a healthy response to danger. This is not necessarily a position where you want a corrective experience. Um, So what we need is a situation that triggers those sorts of patterns, which would otherwise be safe. If a situation is genuinely threatening now and then, then that is not a trauma response. That's a protective, healthy response to genuine danger. So, for example, uh, if someone experienced, let's say, abuse as a child, we obviously don't need that situation to repeat. There's no need for a corrective experience here. What is necessary, though, is that if that person formed a belief, a conclusion that perhaps all people are untrustworthy, or if it was a sexual abuse, perhaps there was a conclusion that all men are untrustworthy. Now, that's something that could benefit from a corrective experience. Otherwise, it is possible that this person goes in the world thinking that the average person in the threat and lives in that stressful physiology all the time. And that essentially is what social anxiety is, is that this idea that the average person is somehow a threat. All right. So that is um, a caveat there. And in broadly speaking, the overall point was in order for us to have powerfully corrective experiences, we have to be in the world. We have to engage in the world and show it to our parts that, hey, you're safe. You're safe, my darling. All right. The next angle I want to look at is what I call the self-esteem building angle. Now, James Clear wrote this very famous book called Atomic Habits. And in that, he talks about action is what leads to one's identity. So what you act on, the the kind of actions you take, determines the kind of person you are. So, for example, if you clean your room every day, then you might think of yourself as the kind of person who prioritizes cleanliness. If you are going to social venues and talking to everyone there, then you might think of yourself, your identity might be that, hey, I'm a social butterfly or I'm a social person. Or, of course, people want to talk to me. More of a projection on the world of the same thing. And self-esteem is basically this identity of yours is a positive one, is an esteemed one. You you view yourself with esteem. Now, in order to build a high self-esteem identity, there is no way around action. Now, of course, you can sit at home and write down affirmations. You can journal you can talk about I am worthy and you can write down that 10 times. Or you can you can write down uh, things like I am a social butterfly or I am a social master. Whatever you want to develop, whichever area of life you want to develop more self-esteem around. But how does it feel when someone just writes something but when it comes to the real world, they're not really doing anything about it. Like in that case, that is otherwise known as delusion. Those are no longer affirmations. So again, affirmations are great. I believe in them. I think you should do affirmations and you should do what Tony Robbins called incantations, which is affirmations with high energy, like involving your body and physiology. But ultimately, you have to take action in the world. So if you are building a social identity, if you're trying to develop your social skills, then you have to go out and talk to people in parties or gatherings or bars and clubs or or whatever. And every time you do that, every time you take that action, you're casting a vote in favor of your identity. And in this case, which is, I'm a social butterfly or I'm a social master. I made one of my favorite episodes is an episode I made, which is called Identity Precedes Outcome. Now either it is an episode or a blog post I'm not exactly sure, but I'll link to that and in that, I basically said that hey, look, if you want certain outcomes in life so for example if you want friends, then you have to start with the identity that I am a social person or I am um, I bring value to friendships like something something along those lines you have to feel and think and embody that identity of a person who is social and who is a suitable friend for someone. Um, And that identity is built A, through your first claiming that identity, but B, then taking action. What is that kind of person? What kind of things does a person who is good socially does? What, What do they do? And similarly in ad- any other area of life, For example, health could be your pride. You could have an identity that I'm, a, I'm an athlete, irrespective of whether you professionally do it or not. But you can have that identity that, hey, I'm strong. And for that, uh, you need to take action. So if you stop exercising for months and you try to just say to yourself, hey, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong, that's not going to have the impact that uh, you wanted to have. And so the final angle I'm going to talk about is what I'm calling the humility angle. Or other way to say that would be a letting go angle. So the way I like to think about it is that when you take action in the world, you are doing a meditative practice, a meditative practice of letting go, uh, of surrender, of and in a good way, not not surrender in the sense that I, I'm helpless, but surrender in the self of like, I am not intending to control the things that are not in my control. So when you take action, what you get is an outcome. Something happens. And that outcome may be pleasant or it may be unpleasant. So whenever you take action, you get outcome, pleasant or unpleasant. And what that does is, It forces you to face consequences of your action. It forces you to take responsibility. It forces you to face the world. And that is in stark contrast to when you don't act, when you are in preservation mode, you are in hiding mode. And so, for example, if you have this preservation mode around society, like not meeting people, and if you're in parties, and if you just stay on the side, and you might justify that as, hey, I'm just introvert. Um, And of course, there are introverts, I'm not saying they don't exist, but it could just be another way of preserving, um, facing pain or facing uncomfortable emotion or facing uncomfortable outcomes, which in turn would lead to uncomfortable emotions. So for example, social anxiety or assertiveness, like you know that there is something to be said to your partner, but you choose not to because... Uh, It may bring up unpleasant emotions. And just saying all of us do that. I do it too. Uh, Just the only reason I can talk about them with such uh, confidence is because I have these patterns too. And I'm working on them just like you are. Um, So assertiveness. uh, Instances where you should be setting a boundary, but you fail to. And all of this is a prevention of action, which is a prevention of letting go of outcome. Because, you know, you risk being disliked. You risk that relationship uh, being uh, not on good terms because of your boundaries or it might end, God forbid. But it can also flourish. That is also where a lot of connection happens. That is also where a lot of love happens when you take that action. All right, so these were my um, points for why action is Quintessential for emotional intelligence and emotional health. Just to recap, they were the first one was the mind-body relationship, how posture affects emotions and physiology affects relationship affects emotions and so on. Corrective experiences, which is you have to do something in the world to heal some unwholesome patterns that you may have developed. And the self-esteem angle, which says that in order to build self-esteem, You have to build a strong identity and identity is built through action and the letting go humility angle, which is when you take action, you face consequences. And when you face consequences, um, that's where you let go. That's where you surrender to the world and that leads to less pressure for yourself and you're able to live a much more graceful and joyful life. All right. Now I want to wrap this episode by some quick practical tips on taking action. So we have all been there where we are kind of stagnant. Um, We are in a rut. So how do we deal with that? How do we take action when we we are in a rut? Or if you are taking action quite consistently, how do we keep up the momentum? And here are some tips for that. The first thing is what I learned uh, in some social anxiety training. Um, And this is like very crude, very straightforward, it's difficult to implement, and that is what is called the three-second rule or the five-second rule. And the idea is, well, if you think of anything that needs to be done, and if it's easy enough to be done, then do it within five seconds. So for example, if I see that my desk is kind of cluttered, I may benefit from putting a few things uh, here and there on shelves, then the best time to do that is now. Just one, two, three, go. Um... Now, this also works for situations where you might have some fear. So, for example, if you're skydiving or if you're going to talk to someone who you may have some fear around, now that could be an attractive woman or it could be your boss, anyone who has some sort of power or a celebrity for that matter. In that case, you may just want to give yourself three seconds or five seconds and just boom, go. The problem is the more you let your mind have time the more it will come up with excuses why not to do it it's hardly ever happened that taking time contemplating something that you know is good for you and giving just time thinking of it it hardly ever happens that you you go in favor of it more likely you're likely to accumulate evidence against it Uh, and as you know energy goes where flow energy flows where focus goes is one of my episodes Uh, So the more time you give yourself, the more time you give your focus to go on all the negative stuff. And then the less likely it is you're going to actually take the actions. Uh, The next tip would be to do something small. So if you are planning to do a heavy lift of some kind, so for example, your action is, I want to run a marathon. Now, well, sure, if you're in momentum, if you're training, sure, you can do that. But if that's, the goal you are starting with, then that might be uh, too big of a lift and you may benefit from something smaller. So if your room is like ridiculously in a distraught state, uh, which mine is slowly getting, then you may benefit from doing something small, like clear the cups on your desk. Start with that and do that within three seconds. Perhaps combine both things and that will get you into action. The next thing to do is notice and reflect on your wins. And by that, I mean, whenever you do take action, the mind has this tendency. It's very strange. The mind has this tendency to discount what you already did. It was like, yeah, whatever. But, you know, I didn't do that. We go on to the negative side of things. So if you did like a workout today, you'll be like, all right, but I didn't really live to my highest potential. Or, you know, I... I won the second prize, but I didn't really won the f- I didn't really win the first prize, and there could be this trap of perfectionism which could also prevent you from doing something. So one great antidote to that is noticing and reflecting on your wins. So whenever you are taking action and you do it, give yourself a pat on the back, write down that as a win, write down three wins every day. That is huge for your self-esteem if you do that. Um, And what you're doing is training your mind to extract the emotions from your wins. Like it is a very upsetting emotional life when you're achieving a lot and winning a lot and yet you don't feel like that. You don't feel fulfilled. And that is strange and it's bizarre and that happens because we don't take time to acknowledge our own wins and we don't let it Uh, affect our emotions positively so highly recommend writing and noticing and reflecting on your wins Um, another tip for taking quick action is investment invest money or invest reputation or invest something else that is meaningful to you so for example if you want to commit to a certain therapeutic routine if you want to commit to therapy it might be worthwhile to just invest once you've found out that the therapist is good and all of that to just invest for 10 sessions together or sign up for a coaching program or invest in a year's membership or um, you know if it helps uh, you could invest in a very good high end gym and invest so much that you will go now of course it's not the most optimal strategy because it's kind of self-hate in some ways you're like Uh, giving yourself fear almost that, hey, you'll lose all of that money. But hey, it works. Investment is also an indication of what you value. So when you're putting money into something or putting your reputation at stake into something, then like, for example, my voice and my reputation is coming out in this podcast. And these are things that I value. So I'm willing to put myself out there. So investment is oftentimes clarifies what your own values are. And it, it is a statement for yourself, a clear, concise statement that this is what I stand for. And it leads to a lot of identity-related change and therefore emotional change. So investment can lead to a lot of action. And finally, I will wrap by saying once this episode ends, like stay for the after party. But once this episode ends, I invite you to do something. Well, do something small. Doesn't have to be big. But take some action. What it is, I'll leave it up to you. It could be like cleaning something very small. It could be um, doing something, writing that email that you have been deferring for a while, so on and so forth, whatever it is. But do something now. And once you do it, acknowledge it. I'm going to wrap with that. See you in the after show. Hello and welcome to the after show of Understanding Emotions. My name is Sankalp and my voice is gone. Well, thank you so much for listening. I invite you to listen to the previous episodes of this show because this show is cumulative. As As you saw during this episode, perhaps, I often refer to the previous episodes because I don't want to repeat stuff and I think the previous episodes are really good. So this podcast is cumulative. I assume that you have listened to at least some of the previous episodes. Uh, but that does not mean that you can't start with the new ones. So you can go from new to old. But the more you listen to this episode, this podcast, the more you'll understand emotional intelligence is my hope. Um, please share this podcast with friends, family or whoever you think will benefit. If you would like to contribute to this show in any way, this is probably the best way to do it. There's no money I charge. I make absolutely no income out of this podcast. And um, I can't so far, mainly because I'm on a visa, which doesn't allow self-employment. So this is key, this is pure, just, just from my heart to yours. And um, I hope you will share this with whoever you think will benefit. And finally... I would say is subscribe to the mailing list. Now, the reason why I say that is because if you're subscribed to my podcast on Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever, that's great. And please continue listening to me on that platform. But at the same time, like there was this incident that happened in Spotify just this week that all my followers disappeared, like simply disappeared. Uh, And, you know, it just reminds me how much of my audience is in control of one company's whims and it would be awesome if uh, I could have like this direct relationship with you through an email list of course you can unsubscribe anytime there's no pressure and you know I may even drop in a few exclusive things in there once a while so i invite you to subscribe to my email list it also it collates a lot of the mediums i use like for example sometimes i blog Uh, and so on. So sometimes it's just a good channel for me to disseminate whatever I like. All right. I very rarely post more than once a month. Um, So uh, it's going to be low frequency. All right, then. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate, dear listener, your presence and your willingness to show up and listen to this podcast, especially if you're listening this far in. And I wish you a very good Day or evening. Bye-bye. Take care.